welcome Neil. Y'all pray that I don't fall off. Man, what an amazing weekend. What an amazing band, huh? Dude, I love that. Am I allowed to say dude? I want to apologize up front. I've been with teenagers all weekend and my voice is about to go. So if it sounds like I'm, I'm going through puberty again and I start yodeling, just forgive me. But I love this deep voice. Um, turn with me to Acts chapter 20. By training, I'm a psychologist. Yeah, that's right. It means that I know enough now to mess me up the rest of my life. By training, I'm a psychologist. So when I read, I have this notion that we read Scripture in the context of who we are. I think when teachers read the Scripture, they go, oh, wow, that's something you can teach. When I read the Scriptures, I always see emotions because that's what I deal with. And in Acts chapter 20, is one of the most emotional passages that I've ever run across, I think. Uh, let me give you the background of the story. Paul was ministering. It's where he preached so long. You guys will remember this story. He preached so long that Eutychus fell asleep he, and fell out the window. I'm not going to preach that long. But if you're sitting on the aisle, somebody... You put your arm through them so if they fall asleep, they don't fall, at least fall out of the chair. But he was preaching, and he was on his way. He had taken up a, a, an offering and was on his way to deliver that offering to the church in Jerusalem. And he knew, Paul knew in advance that this was probably going to be his last trip there. And so he sent word over to Ephesus. Ephesus was a, a, a town in which Paul had preached for about two and a half years, had established a church. And he sent word to the elders of that church. He said, would you do me a favor? He said, I don't have time. This is in the NIV. This is Neil's incredible version. He said, I don't have time to come all the way to Ephesus, but would you meet me in the port city of Miletus because... Uh, there's some things I want to say to you. And what Paul wanted to say to them was goodbye. Don't you hate goodbyes? Uh, my wife and I were missionaries in Africa. And I will tell you, the hardest thing ever is saying goodbye. And you never, ever get used to it. In the last six months, I have been to seven funerals of people that were connected with our mission. And I will tell you, saying goodbye, loss is tough. And Paul wanted to say, and it's this emotional scene. Those elders came down to this little port city called Miletus, and Paul is saying goodbye to them. Now, by the way, those elders were trying to tell Paul, don't go. Because there's people in Jerusalem that are going to kill you. And then... Uh, <laughs> And in verse 22, he says this. I'm going to say it in the old King James, if that's okay, because I like the way it sounds. 
He says, and now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost, or except that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my course with joy of the ministry I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul said, I go bound. I think probably the version you're reading says, I go compelled. <laughs> that word in the Greek is a very interesting word. It's the word that they use to tie up an animal. Not that they will get away. Oh, when I was, uh, I grew up in Slocum Station, Ohio. Uh, yeah, don't look for it on the map. We had a tornado once that come through one time, and a guy got on radio's, radio and said, it wiped Slocum off the map. Sure enough, we got maps out, and it wasn't there. We did have stop signs and a gas station. But anyway, but we, we would put rings in bulls' noses. Did you ever see that? You always see it on cartoons. They put a ring. That is not to make the bull look macho. If we wanted to do that, we'd put it in his ear. Just kidding. But you put a ring in a bull's nose and you tie a rope to it, you can take that bull anywhere you want to. Put a ring in my nose. Put a rope to it. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Promise. But that's the idea of this word, that Paul had no choice. It's like God put a ring in his nose and said, you're going this way. Can I ask a question? When's the last time you ever did something for God simply because you felt compelled by God to do it? Not because you had the gifts or the talents or the time, or, but simply because you felt so strongly that this is what God wants me to do. Paul said, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, and I love this, said, not knowing. Isn't that our journey in our Christian life? It's, it's what faith is all about. It's going, not knowing. I promise, had I have known what was awaiting for my wife in Africa, I'm not sure I would have gone. I know that's not very spiritual, but I'm just telling you the truth. I don't know if I would have gone. I don't know if I knew that, uh, that didn't sound like good English, did it? I don't know if I knew. Um, if I would have known that a month after arriving in language school, my wife's, both of her retinas would detach. And we'd be in a hospital in the middle of France, hours from people we knew. And, and we were good in the language by that time. We could say bonjour. Well, actually we could say bonjour. And that's about it. She looked to ask for butter. Which is always helpful if you're in the hospital. Can I have some butter, please? And there we were. I, if I'd have known that, I'm not sure what I would have gone. If I would have known that once we got in Africa, that my wife five or six times was laying in a bed and I'm sitting beside her not knowing if she's going to live through the night because of malaria. I'll just be honest. I'm not sure I would have gone. But that's not our journey, folks. Our journey is going not, going, not knowing, and it's trusting God in that journey. Can I ask you, raise your hand. How many of you trust God? Oh, good. Okay, let me, this is a test. I'm a professor, so I have to give tests. 
how many of you worry? Wait a minute. What's that deal? I thought you just said you trusted God. Do you or don't you? I, I know what it is. It's the same with me. I trust God for you. Right? I trust God. God's going to take care of you. I'm just not sure he can handle me because I'm kind of special, you know. Every time I read this passage, I think of Abraham. Don't you remember Abraham? He was this old guy. <laughs> and God said, go. There goes Abraham out of the city, had his walker. And he's walking through the neighborhood, and they go, hey, Abraham, where are you going? He goes, I don't know. God just said go. By the way, he tells you to go too. I deal mostly with young people, so if I don't connect with you adults, forgive me. But I tell young people, God said go. He did not say sit ye there and wait ye there for them to come unto thee so you can preach unto them. I, I, a number of years ago, I, I was talking to my mom. I, I, it's hard to talk to her now. We can't hardly get her to stay awake, but when you're 98, that's okay. She's allowed to sleep. Somebody said, well, she needs to be awake. I go, no, she's lived a long time. Let her sleep. But I, my mom, they had this revival in their church. She goes, you can't even get sinners to come out to church anymore. I said, well, are we supposed to? My, by the way, excuse me, I'm not opposed to that. I'm just saying the Scripture in, encourages us, tells us to go, does it not? We come here to get loved on. Boy, by the way, I don't know of a church that loves on people like you guys do. I love coming here. Uh, some of you know I've been doing stuff here for a long time, and I love because everybody loves on you. What a great place to be. Can I tell you, people outside these walls would give the right leg to, to be loved on like you love on people. But he says for us to take the gospel, he said go. So Paul said, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, except this, that bonds and afflictions abide me. He said, I'm going, but I know that this journey is not going to be easy. I get very frustrated with, I don't even know what they call it, when you hear people, you get saved and everything's going to be wonderful. I don't know about your Christian experience. It's not been mine. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and he said, Neil, life wasn't supposed to be this messy. Remember when you were a teenager, thinking about the future? I always thought I was going to live this Norman Rockwell life with a little Thomas Kincaid thrown in. And maybe Bob Ross would have put a little happy tree over here. And it looks more like Picasso. Right? It's messy. And by the way, if you really take a stand for Christ, it's messier. People don't like that. But Paul said, I know they're about to kill me. I'm going anyway. Did you hear what he said? 
He said, I go bound in spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that befall me. There saveth the Holy Ghost witness in every city, saying the bonds and afflictions are bind me. But none of these things move me. In the NIV, Neil's incredible verse, it says, I don't care. My commitment is not to comfort and convenience. My commitment is to Jesus Christ. So many of us are committed to comfort and convenience, right? I'll serve Jesus as long as it's convenient. I would, I would tell you, I, I, uh, yesterday morning I met with all the youth leaders. And I said, if you want to do ministry, and I don't mean that as a vocation, because all of us are called to minister, are we not? Oh, by the way, just in case you ever wonder, because I hear people, I just don't feel called. He said, go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. If you're waiting to get called, you just got it. It's all of our responsibility, right? But I told them, I said, if you're doing ministry, it is rarely convenient and very often uncomfortable. But you hang with me because it gets better at the end. It's just not. I don't particularly enjoy getting calls at 1 o'clock in the morning with somebody going through a panic attack. I was meeting with somebody recently in a counseling session, and we're walking out, and they're sobbing, literally crying, which is kind of my reputation. If you talk to me, you're going to cry. I had a missionary come by my office the other day, and I said, <laughs> I said, come in and talk to me. She said, I don't have time to cry today. <laughs> I think it's my face. That's not funny. But this girl's crying, and she said, do you enjoy this? I go, that's a hard question. Do I enjoy walking through the muck of people's lives? No. But it's what I feel compelled to do by the Spirit. It's not comfortable. It's not even convenient. It's not even fun. But in order to do that, that's what God called me to minister as. It's not going to be comforting. But Paul said, it, it doesn't matter to me. That's not my job. My job is to obey and serve him. It doesn't matter what it's going to cost me. He said, I go bound in spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that should befall me there, save the Holy Ghost witness in every city, saying the bonds of afflictions abide me, but none of these things move me. Listen to this. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. Let me tell you a story. If, if you're around me much, I, most of the time, I just tell stories. By the way, I feel in good company. That's what Jesus did. I have a very dear friend. His name's Frank Marshall. Frank and Uncle Frank, I'll call him Uncle Frank and Aunt Eleanor. My wife and I's job in Africa, we, we were dorm parents at a boarding school for missionaries' children. Uh, we, our job was to be mom and dad to 20 high school boys. Well, I had 20. Sheila had 21. It was, there's no, I told somebody this weekend, everything I do the rest of my life is a step down from that. I absolutely loved, I loved Africa, I loved, but we had boys, and our boys would be with us about three months at a time. Their parents served Christ all over the African continent, and it was just this incredible experience. But just across the lane from us was the other boys' dorm. In that dorm was Uncle Frank and Aunt Eleanor Marshall. 
Now they moved them to, they had 28 boys. They came there because the mission station which they were on was so hard and Uncle Frank had a heart problem. And so they came to take care of 28 boys because that was easier. Are you listening to me? That was easier than where they were working. By the way, we used to play tackle football. Uncle Frank always played with us. We gave him the ball every time because he scored a touchdown every time. You know why? The boys wouldn't tackle him. They afraid he would die right there. <laughs> Uncle Frank and Aunt Eleanor had served for about 30 years in Timbuktu. Yep, by the way, it's a real place. It is up in the very northern sections of the country of Mali, right in the middle of the Sahara Desert. It's one of the oldest cities in the world. It's a walled city. It is 99.9999% Muslim. Uncle Frank and Aunt Eleanor, Aunt Eleanor worked there for about 30 years. And I, I asked Uncle Frank one day. I was in his office, and I said, Uncle Frank, tell me this. In those 30 years, how many people came to Christ? How many people came to Jesus? And he has this really deep, deep voice. And he said, well, Neil, he said, uh, he said, you know, uh, during the hot season, when it's so hot, it was so hot that Aunt Eleanor would soak our sheets in barrels of water, and we would wrap ourselves in the sheets to go to bed at night because we had no electric. And as it evaporated, it would be cool enough for to sleep tonight. I go, Uncle Frank, how many people came to Christ? You didn't answer my question. He goes, you know, during the dry season when the Harmattan winds came across the Sahara Desert, we had to sleep with our covers over our head because there would be an inch of dust on top of them when we would wake up in the morning. I go, Uncle Frank, answer my question. How many people came to Christ? He said, Neil, every day that I was there, every day, 30 years, I would go into town. I would stand on quarters. Sometimes I'd preach. I'd witness one-on-one. -on -one. He said, every day I came back and my pant legs were wet where people had spit on me. I said, Uncle Frank, answer my question. How many people came to Jesus? I'll never, ever forget what he said. He said, uh, I can count them on this hand. I said, Frank, 30 years, and you can count them on this. I said, do you think it's worth that? You know what he said? I don't know. Ask them. When we had to evacuate our Free Will Baptist missionaries from Ivory Coast, they were at the school uh, where my wife and I served. The school had about 160 kids there. They were shooting. The military was shooting on one side. The rebels were shooting. And they were shooting over top of the school. I, I wish I had time to tell you about that whole story. Uh, I never slept for three days because we were on, on uh, the phone with the people there. I can hear the gunshots. At one point, the guy said, Neil, Stay on the phone with me. They're coming towards us. I think we're about to be massacred. Anyway, after it was all over, we got the kids out. We finally got the kids out. The French military came and got them out. My phone rang in my office, and I picked it up, and it's, I hear this deep voice. I know who it is. It's Uncle Frank. 
His grandkids, by the way, were at the school because his son is in Timbuktu now. So he said, I said, Uncle Frank, the kids are okay. He said, I said, I'm not sure. He goes, oh, we're not worried about them. They'll take them somewhere. We'll find them. They're in West Africa. He said, we, we're not worried about it. We'll find them. And I said, Uncle Frank, I've been telling this story. I just want, I just want to make sure it's true. And so I told him what I just told you. And he, and he goes, well, it's kind of true. And Eleanor said, every word of it's true. He said, but you have to tell the rest of the story. I said, I don't know the rest of the story. He said, of those five guys, one of them is now home with Jesus. The rest of them are all pastors. He said, the church in Timbuktu has about 250 people, and they are going downriver to plant another church. Here's my point. I am so glad that Uncle Frank and Aunt Eleanor never counted their lives dear unto themselves. Can I tell you, there's people in this community that are waiting for you not to count your life dear unto yourself. They need you. You work with someone. How, have you, how many of you work in secular jobs? Can I just see your hand? Oh, man, I envy you. I work in ministry. You know what? I'm around Christians all the time. It's hard to be salt and light if you stay in the salt shaker. Isn't it? You get to go to work every day, and you're surrounded by people who need Jesus. How cool is that? I fish, I fish every moment I can. I'd rather fish than eat. I don't even care if I catch any. Well, I do. That's why they call it fishing, not catching. But I fish, and I fish with this guy in my neighborhood, doesn't know Jesus. He has quit drinking and quit dipping since I've started fishing with him. I'm making progress. Who better for to fish with him than me? Because I get to share Jesus with him. Isn't that great? That's so much fun. Paul said, I go bound in spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count in my life dear unto myself, that I might finish. You hear that? I might finish. I know a lot of people that start this journey and are pretty excited, but they don't finish. By the way, one of the reasons why they don't finish is they get discouraged by people in church or they don't feel loved on. Please love on each other. I, don't, I really don't understand people that fuss in church. I just don't understand that. I don't see that anywhere in this book. Can I tell you, Joe will know this guy. He's, if you talk to people from my church, we have a hero. His name is Charlie Hinkst. Uncle Charlie, I'm telling you, he, he, I work at International Missions. At least that's one of the seven jobs I do. But Uncle Charlie... He has volunteered at the mission for now over 20-some years. He's 90-some years old, still comes in twice a week. And he, in his words, I do whatever five women tell me to do. Charlie, I, here's my description. Charlie is a walking fruit of the Spirit. He just got married about five years ago. His wife had died, and, and Miss Juanita's husband had died, and they came to, they were disgusting. It was so cool. 
They looked like teenagers. But I, when, after they got married, I did say, now, Charlie, you and Juanita, you take some time to get to know each other before you start a family. He said, we have decided to do that. But one time in a business meeting, one time in a business meeting, by the way, I, I want to be so much like Charlie because Charlie is finishing strong. He realizes when you're 90-some years old, you're sort of towards the end of life. But we were having a business meeting. I don't even remember what the issue was. Nobody hardly does. But Charlie came to the microphone, the business, and he was against it. Gave us all the reasons why. Well, the church voted to do it anyway. So Charlie raised his hand. Can I say something else? They said, well, sure. He goes to the microphones. He said, you all heard what I had to say about this, why I was against it. But you voted for it. I just want you to know I'm 100% behind it, and here's the first check. That's finishing strong. By the way, Charlie is a great witness. Matter of fact, we had a banker that our mission banks with. And they, they don't know us, but we always sent Charlie to the bank. And they said, if that's what Christians are like, I want to be one. The banker told us that. Finishing strong. I like it. In the, some of the newer versions, it leaves out a little phrase here. said that I might finish my course with what? With joy. I think in the NIV and some of the newer versions, it leaves that little prepositional phrase out. With joy. I talked to your students this weekend about this a little bit. We talked about a lot of different things. I want to be filled with joy. I am sick of going to church with dead folks. Been around them. I am so happy to be a Christian. God has filled my life with so many wonderful things. I can hardly contain myself. I'm sure you can see it. I don't want to. Now, you don't have to. I'm a little crazy. I'm a psychologist. I'm, I know crazy. You know what I'm saying? I'm okay with that. By the way, you know why a flamingo stands on one leg? I'm standing this way, maybe. Because if he lift the other one, he'd fall. <laughs> Amy, don't look at me that way. Amy's just shaking her head like, that man is crazy. I'm just illustrating the point. Everybody don't have to be crazy and jump up and down and get all excited. But you ought to be joyful. You have a lot to be joyful for, don't you? Don't you? I told your students this story, and I was doing some clinical work at Vanderbilt University. I'm getting to ready to leave the last day. I'd been there about 20 hours a week for two years. I'm getting ready on the final day. I'd said all oh, my goodbyes. I have my hand on the door, and the secretary over here says, said, Neil, come in my office just a minute. I go, Okay. She goes, you are not real. I said, excuse me? Uh, you might need to explain that just a little bit. She said, you've been here for two years, and you have never had a bad day. I said, that's right. 
She goes, that's not real. I said, no, no, it is. I've seen bad. This isn't it. I said, my wife and I lived in Africa. I've walked through villages and watched babies dying in their mom's arms of starvation. That's bad. I won't go through the whole story. I went through the whole story with your kids, but I saw, I was in the hospital with a lady who was dying of flesh-eating disease. I never heard of it, but they warned me before I went. It looked like she had been buried or dead for three months, and they dug her up and put her in that bed. Her flesh was literally rotting off her. I said, that's bad. What I've experienced here, oh, there's a lot of brokenness, a lot of hurt, but that's not bad. <laughs> in comparison, it's not. And I said, besides that, I have this incredible relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he fills me with so much joy. How in the world can I have a bad day? She goes, well, I knew it was something. <laughs> Boy, I want to be that way, don't you? I want to be the kind of Christian that people want to be attracted to be around me. Not that I'm something, but Jesus is. That they will say, something's different about you. That's why I want to be like Charlie. I tell you, before he got married, I told Sheila, if something happens to you, I'm hanging with Charlie. That man is a chick magnet. <laughs> and it's simple. It is so simple. He is filled with joy. Paul said, I want to finish my course with joy. of doing the ministry that, of the Lord Jesus Christ to testify, to testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for. Not just to live, but to testify, to give evidence of the hope that lives within us. And we get that chance. Man, I thank God that I get to do this that I get to share my life with people. And I don't mean up here. I always tell people, I get invited to speak a lot of places once. They go, no, that, that'll be plenty, thank you. <laughs> Except the couples retreat. I did get to come back. It's so much fun, I miss it. But anyway, I... I love the fact that I get to be Jesus wherever I am. I get to be his hands and his feet. When I was at the university studying, I loved being in class. You know why? Because I got to share Christ with them. I love, I love even going to a restaurant, not even for the food. Food's irrelevant to me. You might have noticed that. Except I have put on 60 pounds. I used to be skinny. You know why I love going? Because there's always a server that waits on you. And I get to act like Jesus to the server. I even get to leave them a big tip. I love doing that, don't you? I don't even care what the service is like. I don't. 
I think Jesus would be kind to them, don't you? And I get to do that with joy. Can I ask you a question? Are you going? Even though you don't know what's ahead? By the way, can I just add this real quick? I'm not having trouble finding young people that want to go. I've been with your students all weekend. What great kids, except a couple that I'm praying with you about. (laughs) Actually, it's the leaders that I'm praying for. They want to go. The, The trouble I'm having is finding parents and grandparents who will let them. Yes, I want God to move in their lives in great way, just as long as they don't leave Detroit. Oh, they can go to Toledo, maybe. Down in that heathen state of Ohio. Where the pagans live. Please. Are you going? Are you letting your kids grandkids go even not knowing are you counting your life dear unto yourself and are you finishing with joy I said this to your young people I really believe this that anytime the word is spoken it demands a response I don't know how you need to respond I just pray that you'll respond in ways that gives God glory. Will you pray with me, please? Father, I am uh, humbled to be here. Grateful.